1: Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly podcast. This episode is brought to you by Charles Tirrett, pros in effortless menwear, whether you need a casual weekend look or sharp tailoring. It's four wins from four in England's brave new era. This time they've chased down 378 with seven wickets remaining to level the series against India. Ben Stokes said at the end of the game that a bit of him wanted to see India set England 450 to see how they'd get on. We are living in different times. I'm Yaz Ron, and with me in the studio today is the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. As well as the men's test at Edgbaston, we've got the women's test at Taunton to talk about, a couple of England white ball squads that have been named, and we'll chat a bit about the ECB's treatment of the T20 Blast. But first, let's go to Mark Butcher to hear what he makes of this extremely fun new era of English test cricket. Butch, when India left England 378 to win, what were you thinking at the time? No chance. Even after the last three weeks?
2: Yeah, I thought that despite all of that, that amount of runs, that attack, the way that the pitch played on the, on the fourth day, on the Monday. Obviously, you think back to the delivery that got Coley. Pajara had a couple that ran along the deck. Um, thought the, the, you know, that the rough would come into play more for Judasia, but he, they refused to bowl in from the right end. So, um, you know, that, that was sort of negated in the end. But you just thought, you know, I mean, this is one of the problems about sort of knowing the history of the game or having played the game is that kind of stuff like that just never happens. So, <laughs> so you just kind of like everything you know um, about, uh, about test match cricket and, you know, the Indian bowling attack and, and, and everything else kind of tells you that that shouldn't be possible. And it certainly shouldn't be possible um, in a manner uh, whereby there was, there was so little jeopardy in it whatsoever. You know, after the after that opening stand, then it, we all just went, all oh, right, It's over. It's done. They've got it down below three uh, hundred, and you know, and India are kind of a bit stuck for for ideas. Um, uh, and even with even withstanding the sort of the the chaos of that little period just prior to tea. And uh, and afterwards on on day four, uh, as soon as Johnny and and got together, it was just serenity. I mean, it India, India didn't bowl particularly well, uh, it has to be said, they had a reverse swinging ball and, and kind of went against all of the, the rules of reverse swing, i.e. after the initial attempt to kind of knock people over when they first get to the crease, you then go back to bowling a sort of, you know, the top of off stump channel line and the odd ball will go straight and the odd ball will dart back in and they kind of got very, very preoccupied with bowling straight and the guys just kept knocking them for one. Um, and and it was just, it was incredible. It was utter, it was it was so incredible. It ended up being dull. <laughs> How's about that?
1: I didn't find it dull. <laughs> this isn't my point. This is a point uh, made by someone I play cricket with, and he said that up until about ten years ago, knocking it around in the middle overs of an ODI was the done thing to do. Until suddenly it wasn't. Is this what we're seeing now with Test cricket? I mean, the transformation of Alex Lees is is just crazy, right? In the Caribbean, he couldn't hit it off the square. Then I think he told Sky after day four that the left-handers were tasked with attacking Jadeja, you know, one of the best spin bowlers in the world. He came down the wicket, third ball to Shammy to hit him through mid-wicket. Modern players just have so many shots, even someone who initially looked like a bit of a blocker. Is this the way, do you think, the test game is going to go?
2: But it's the way England are going to go, for sure. I mean, whether whether everybody else jumps on the on the bandwagon and follows them remains to be seen. But um, England have, have decided... They've just kind of decided to do away with all of the norms of Test match cricket. I was reading, um, I was reading Vish and uh, our rivals, ESPN, in Crick Info, about sort of the, you know, they basically ask why, why do we, why do we do this? And if the answer comes back, well, because that's the way it's always been done, then they throw it out and do something else. You know, um, and I love that. I mean, that's just it's fantastic. There's so much, there's so much sort of crap around. Um, you know the the norms and the accepted realities of Test match cricket that were that were literally just done because they'd always been done before and no one had ever questioned it before. So um, you know, fabulous. It's, it, it, it's you, you're kind of waiting. I mean, we just thought when India were batting in that third innings and the lead was already 130 at the change that this is where it comes unstuck, right? India um, then do whatever they have to do in order to get to put it put it away, put it out of sight. You know. And 378 in the end, um, you know, they, they would have preferred it to be 450. Uh, you know, and a word on England and on the way that England sort of managed somehow um to, to sort of knock them over for the for the lowest score in the game third time round when they had a when they had a 130-run lead is something that deserves its own little podcast, I think. Um <sighs> And so, so they left, you know, they, they left the door slightly ajar, didn't they, India, or you know, England forced them to leave the door slightly ajar, and then they just barged through it with all of the, um, with all the politeness of Boris Johnson on his way to the buffet table. <laughs> just, just on the India
1: collapse in the third innings, that's that's the second or arguably third time this summer that England have kind of got back into a game because of the opposition collapsing a little bit and letting them off the hook in the third innings. India just weren't very ruthless. They didn't it didn't really look like they they had a clear plan of what they wanted. There, were quite quite a few loose shots but at the same time they weren't particularly attacking at the same time. So it, it wasn't that clear what India were were trying to do.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, and some of that I think is is potentially because of the the fear of what England might be able to do in the last innings. Now over the course of three 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 test matches prior to that, all of a sudden you've got the opposition thinking, how, um, when is far enough? You know, how, how far is far enough ahead? Uh, and therefore you're absolutely right. They played they played in a manner which kind of like suggested they didn't know what to do. They didn't know whether to come out there and, and be 130 runs ahead and do a Michael Slater and just go, right, that's it. We're just going to batter you out of the game. Um, we're going to do it fast. We're going to do it brutally. And we're going to get us so far ahead, leave ourselves so much time in the game to bowl you out that you've got no chance. So they didn't come out and do that. I mean, they might have done had Rohit and Rahul been their, their two opening batters, but that, you know, unfortunately for them, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Mm. Um, and then, and then even Rishabh Pant kind of like seemed to be, for some reason, he just, he, he decided he wasn't going to attack Jack Leach um, on, uh, on, on Monday. And he kind of let him bowl, and he let him bowl, and in the end, instead of you know, instead of running down and bashing him back over his head, which is the way he's been unbelievably successful against Leach, you think all the way back to Chennai on those on those turners and uh, things. Um, you know, he then he then goes for the reverse sweep out of the rough, poor option, and and Joe Root takes a brilliant catch, um, and all of the while that this is going on, you're thinking to yourself, well, they're not far enough ahead yet, they're not far enough ahead. Um, but the the in the back of your mind, you're still thinking it's a fifth-day pitch. For goodness' sake, we've already seen variable bounce. They've got Shami, they've got Bumrah. Um, You know, the the two support seamers are perhaps not well, not perhaps they're just not in that sort of class. And and that that showed in the final innings. Jadeja, um, you know, should have been a handful.
1: You get to with with your with your job at Sky, you get to speak to the England players before and after each day's play. Do you get a vibe off them that's just different to any? team you've seen before just and how relaxed they are
2: yeah for sure I mean you know one of the one of the great things is I mean we always used to this is going back a long time ago when when I was still playing you know we always used to look in envy at sort of the Aussies rocking up in their flip-flops um from a from a pool session sort of half an hour before the start of play and we'd already been out there sweating in the Brisbane heat for an hour doing our warm-ups and ministry of silly walks nonsense and we kind of look at them rocking up and, and then and sort of look at ourselves and go, oh my, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why are we putting ourselves through this pain and, you know, already losing gallons of, of fluid in the, in the Brisbane heat? And these blokes just rock up, stick their whites on, come out and give us a good hiding and then, and then go back to the pub, you know. <laughs> and England have very much got that vibe about them. Uh, you know, the the guys, unfortunately, some of the guys have to turn up early to do interviews with us before we go on air. But the rest of the team, they don't, we don't see them. We don't see them until gone 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they do, they're kicking a football around. If, if if you want to have a hit, you have a hit. If you want to have a bowl, you have a bowl. You know, it's it's very, very relaxed. Um, and, the, and the players, are, they are enjoying themselves to the nth degree. They're absolutely loving um, the management style. They're loving turning up to work in the morning. Uh, and they're loving the sort of the freedom that they're having to to um, to do it their way. I think, and that's 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 been unbelievably um, unbelievably important, and it has, it has made an incredible difference.
1: And just on though, I thought those two hundreds felt almost more sustainable than what we saw against New Zealand. Really controlled. He rode the waves of pressure in both innings. It's a it's a freakish run of form.
2: It is, yeah. I mean, we we did a we did quite a long. Piece. It started off as a conversation about Johnny Bairstow and how, and just how brilliantly he's he's picking length at the moment. Um, you know, using using Hawkeye, literally anything that was in a in a good length in the sort of the red zone or whatever he defended or left. I mean, his defence has looked so solid. You know, absolutely rock solid in defence. His, his lining up with the ball and off stump, um, knowing knowing what, what to leave. Um, has been has been immaculate as well i mean it's tempting to think that he just he's gone out there and just smashed the ball but he hasn't um and every time they missed whether short of that that red zone or full of that red zone if it was full of it it went back over their head or or hit the extra cover fence before anybody moved if it was short of it it it's short arm jab or it's pulled or it's cut incidentally he's he's now taking a sort of middle and leg guard instead of the middle and off one that he was he was taking before i mean <laughs> I'll be it for me um you know and so and so at the minute it's very very simple good ball good ball defend bad ball hit for four and he hasn't missed he just hasn't missed for weeks um and it's been it's been astonishing to see and then of course you've got his great mate at the other end joe who is just it's just sublime i mean it's just so we're so lucky to be able to see somebody um as good as that uh, make the game look so so easy and do it beautifully as well. You know, I mean, th- which is not to say that Johnny is not not fun to watch or anything like that. But there's a kind of th- th- there's a classicism about Joe Root. There's a there's an ease, there's a grace, all of the things that you know that you know. There's the artistry about what he does, um, and long may it continue.
1: Awesome. Cheers for your time, Butch. Chat to you next week. Phil, Joe Root's good at batting and he's also a really nice man as well.
0: Yeah, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how, how he, he, he walks that line. You don't see it with many. You, the, the, the great players always have uh, a gargantuan ego, even if they are well-practiced at suppressing it. But with him, he somehow seems to fi- find, find this balance of being ordinary, self-aware, normal and a genius. I don't know how you'd do that. And that interview that he gave after the game yesterday, so we're recording the the morning after, the latest freak, and
4: he gave such... Did you see it, Joe? It was so so nice. It was so lovely. I just wanted to give him a big hug. Yeah. Which I have done over the last few months, but more kind of that was a sympathetic hug. This was just because he's just so nice. I don't know if they meant it or not, but Warden Hussein
0: ended up... Sledging him. (laughs) Yeah, slightly sledging him. But I think they only did it because he'd... He'd given a couple of indications that he was up for that kind of uh, suggestion that things are better now because he's no longer in charge. And I struggle to think of any other top, top, top class cricketer who would go with it with that kind of warmth and generosity of spirit. But the bloke has got it. And he he said something like, yeah, you know, now we've got someone who knows what they're doing in charge. It's so much better. And then he, you know, he gave a wink to... And he threw a few garlands out to the audience, you know, and and to have to have that that response straight after his latest masterpiece. Um, Another one, another absolute masterwork. I don't know how he does it,
4: really. It usually takes England captains about ten years to get to that point to be able to kind of laugh at themselves, and and, <laughs> yeah, and, and if Root's, yeah, if ever, if ever, and Root's done it in about three weeks. But yeah. it does does help when you're the best batter on the planet, right?
1: The latest ICC rankings were updated today, and Root's ICC batting rating is down the top twenty of all time. That's, Feels about that's right, pretty pretty phenomenal, yeah, absolutely. The,
0: the, just on Root, there, there was that stat that came through about dot ball percentage through the history of the game, and you had a couple of you know, outlandish hitters in there in Gale and Saywag, I think KP and maybe Hayden, Joe? I think Hayden and Bradman. Hayden, perhaps, and, and Bradman, and then Joe. Uh, and yet he's a more complete player than the first four. He's not quite as complete a player as the last one, <laughs> but then no one ever will be. Uh, but we, we, we're having to now talk about him, not just in the context of what's happened in the last couple of years, but what's happened in the last couple of centuries. That's where we're now having to talk about this player. Uh, he always resonates such joy and humanity. I think when he bats, and I know that sounds pretentious, but that's how I feel. There's there's a there's a, a warmth to everything that he does when he bats. Um, even the even the really good players, it can look like an intense kind of struggle, or it can look like you're you're kind of showing showing off a bit, you know, when you're on top. Root doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have any of that arrogance. Um, He doesn't have any of that kind of self-insulation either that you sometimes get with the really good players. It's like they're playing their own game. They're getting their runs and whatever happens elsewhere happens. You don't get any of that with him. He's an open-hearted cricketer. He's obviously a a complete joy to watch. Um, But you think back as well to how he reacted to Ollie Pope's 100 at Trent Bridge. you know. And I know it became a bit of a thing that Sky built on, but you know... He was celebrating just, just along with the lad. And I know this sounds schmaltzy, but for him to have gone from, from being in, in the doldrums and lugging this, this mess along with him for a year or two to suddenly being able just to let it all fall away, that is an extraordinary feat, I think. And as Rob Key said quite rightly when he came in charge, only, only history can do justice to what Joe Root did when he was captain as a batter. And now he's almost taking it to another level. 400s in five games, if you, if you count the series in isolation. Obviously, player of the series. Got player of the series against New Zealand as well. Gets player of the series basically everywhere he goes. 400s in five tests. First time since Compton in 1950-something or other against India. Um, Extraordinary. I'm really Amazing.
1: glad we're having this conversation because quite often when Root gets 100, we just kind of go, we just shrug our shoulders. Yeah, that happens a lot. When Jimmy Anderson takes the five, we kind of shrug our shoulders. And also we'll talk about him later. But I was thinking during this test match, kind of the juxtaposition of him finding it so easy on the fourth and fifth days. He genuinely didn't give a chance. And with, with Coley, who... Uh, Has has now gone to what two and a half years? That's going international hundred, which shows it.
0: Done a viral tweet, have we? Yes.
1: Yeah, just just one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My my tweet was basically uh, in November twenty nineteen. Kohli had twenty seven test hundreds. Root had sixteen. Now Kohli still has twenty seven hundreds, but Root has twenty eight. Um, easy shot isn't it really
4: that'll get you a thousand likes immediately absolutely absolutely. and the rest Um, Joe check it out
1: (laughs) it's so hard even for the best players to maintain that and Root just hasn't maintained that he's gone to another level and in the all-time list of run scorers and century makers Root really is now standing up with the very best of them it's not just is is he one of those greats it's like He's properly, properly up there. And especially in this era and this era of batting in England, Root is doing something that no one else has has really done in English cricket, at least for for decades and decades and decades.
4: Watching him yesterday, I was trying to think, have I ever seen in my cricket watching life, seen a batter make test cricket look so easy? I think one day cricket is a bit different because, you, you look watch Just Butler now, for instance, or Virat Kohli when he was at his peak. You could just churn out run after run after run in that and, and it didn't feel like, you know, it is, a, it is a batter's game. Whereas in Test cricket, even when players have done phenomenally well and gone on these runs, I don't think I've ever seen anyone look quite so comfortable. I mean, you look at the strike rate he's scoring at, which is obviously a clear indicator. Um, it it just looks a, a, an incredibly simple game to him. And this is also, you've got to remember, he's been playing against the best sides in this period of time. It's not like England have had a... A bit of the schedule where you get to play the sides ranked six, seven, eight. These are the These are the best sides in the world that he's played up against. And fair enough, he didn't get the big runs in Australia that we hoped he would do. But he still had good series, really. He still had a decent series, uh, all things considered. Um, it's, it's funny to think. We, we kept saying, well, even though the captaincy was, uh, was obviously a struggle, it seemed to be bringing the best out of him as a battle. Well, actually... Maybe it was holding him back a little bit. He has he has gone up another level since um, and he's clearly enjoying himself uh, more than I've ever seen him enjoy himself as a, as a test cricketer, certainly. Uh, and it's just so nice to watch after, after these last few, well, 18 months of kind of miserable fare.
1: Mm. Phil, by focusing so much on the new captain and new coach, do we almost lose just how ridiculous Root and Bairstow's form is at the moment. Both average literally more than 100 this summer. besto is doing so at a strike rate of more than 100. Uh, their partnership in the fourth innings was England's highest in the fourth innings win ever by miles. On besto can you make sense of this revival? Because there's been a bit of besto revisionism recently. He was out of the runs for ages in Test cricket, and now he's putting something together that is comparable to what Root has over the last... Eighteen months.
4: Also, Phil, just remind us: Did you pick him in your first test of the summer? <laughs> I can't. I, I wanted to see some Red Bull runs, though. <laughs> well, now you have. Well, I mean, I mean he, he
0: he did he did fail for three three knocks, didn't he? You, you just sort of forget that in the context of it, and it, yeah, you he know, wasn't really under pressure, clearly, because England are not going to drop players anyway. There's no not such for thing. Yeah, yeah, There's no such thing as, as <laughs> dropping players anymore. Uh, but yeah, there were people saying going into that fourth knock of the summer after. Two blobs and a and a sixteen. I think he made. Uh, the the kind of was due. He was due a few. Um, I can't answer it. I I, I just can't. Um, he's always been a streaky player. Twenty sixteen was a was a year long streak. Um, I spoke to a couple of people who were in the dressing room and uh, they said it's been difficult for him. Been difficult for everybody. Australia always you know, opens up those sores, um, and they become running sores across a long period of time. And obviously Besto wasn't inside in the first half of the ashes and it had become difficult for everybody. Uh and I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but but Besto was it was in a position where he was on the one hand a World Cup winner, on the one hand a white ball gun, on the one hand an IPL stalwart. And then on the other, a kind of drinks carrier on the periphery of the test team, despite having made some significant contributions in the test team. And for a character like Johnny Bairstow, that that's going to be difficult. It's going to be, he's going to feel isolated in effect. But one of Stokes' master strokes is that he's come in and said, you're one of my main men, you're a, you're a senior player now. And with, a, with senior status... That confers uh expectations to 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 deliver, but also to carry yourself in a certain way. And that's clearly what he's been crying out for. He's been crying out for respect within the test match setup. Mm-hmm. Root acknowledged again in that marvellous interview, yeah. Well, you can probably blame me for that, because he was bitten and out the side when I was skipper. Uh well. <laughs> um in, in the Stokes era, he has said to him you know there's no better player at number five than you you're you are my man and a character like Besto needs that and you know he's got that that can't begin to explain how you can do what what he's done um that they kept talking about not messing with form it's a good line it's a cliche it's a dressing room cliche it's the kind of thing that grown-ups say you know as if like club cricketers like us could ever say don't mess with form and say it with a straight face but you know the big boys say that sort of stuff and 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 what's happened with Bairstow Stone? this is this is one of the things that I'm always confused and bewildered by how this happens in cricket because you know I'm a club cricketer and nothing more than that but when you are when the force is with you if you like all the things go your way don't they all the things go your way. So the inside edges never go onto the stumps. The catches never go to hand. The, 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 the flails and the plays and misses never really, n- never connect. The, the top edges always sail with the wind. They never go against it. All of those kinds of things play out. And I'm not beginning, I'm not suggesting for a second that to denigrate what's been off the charts stuff. Memorable forever. We'll talk about this when we're old. This, this month and Johnny Besto's six months. But everything that could have gone gone his way has gone his way. He was flighty at Trent Bridge to begin with, for example. He was so, those
4: first dozen balls. I, was yeah. like, I think he's going to get out. Any he, yeah. like he was going to get out every ball at for that first. Innings. Yeah,
0: um, and, and and again, a little bit in, in the game just gone as well. You know, in the first innings, and 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 yet comes out with two hundreds. You know, one of them unbeaten. So, look, logic, rationale, none of it. None of it stacks up anymore
4: I I think the the concept of form is really interesting when we're trying to get a head around Baz Ball and everything we've seen over the last month and what it might look like going forward because I think we can put separate Root from this because he's just on a different plane but Bairstow is in unbelievable nick now has it all is it all like just a perfect scenario that this has happened when we have two players in unbelievable form and therefore can capitalise on the way that England want to play or is the way that England want to play creating this form in, in Bairstow? And to extend that, what happens when players aren't in form? And can you play in this way? So, you know, Bairstow can't continue in this vein. Will he still come out playing like this when he's got three or four single figure scores in a row? Is, is that the right thing to do? Is it possible? Maybe it is literally the best thing for him to do to get himself back into form. But it's just so alien to how we've understood test cricket and getting your head down and, and working your way through the difficult periods. And I spoke to Mark Rambrakash for his latest column in Wisden Cricket Monthly and uh, look, he's absolutely absorbed and enthralled by what we've seen like everyone else is. But there is also clearly a sense of unease there, that this is not how you do it. This is not how he learnt the game. This is not how he played the game. There might even, and this is not what he said, there might even be a, a tinge of envy that, well, if I played with that kind of freedom, well, Maybe what what could I have done? Have we all been doing this wrong, basically? And we're crossing eras, clearly. No one was playing like this, even in white ball cricket at the time that Ramprakash was playing. Um, but it really has kind of reconfigured the whole way that you look at how you should go out there and perform. The question is how well you can stick to it when things aren't working. And Crawley was a good example in that mm. second inning. I was going to say that. In that he played beautifully, uh, he played his shots, but he also played much more judiciously outside off stump as well. That seemed to be a good a good balance that he struck there. But there are going to be casualties along the way. That there, there have to be. I mean, I, I look ahead to South Africa. I can't see England winning all the matches in that series playing this way. I think they'll win the series. I think they'll do it in style. But I'm expecting a game where it all just goes wrong at some stage. It would be remarkable if it doesn't.
1: Mm. For, I mean, for all the talk about the new Approach it, it. does just help having two guys average 100. And there have been people saying this isn't sustainable, and they're right. But I think that's more because it's the same group of players who won one in 17 before that. If you go through the 11, Joe, you're right. There, there are a lot of players who are still yet to really establish them themselves in in Test cricket. All the big structural problems we spent a whole winter talking about of why England don't produce Test cricketers. They they still they still kind of exists, and I, and I wonder I wonder as well if a big part of their success so far is actually just teams not really know what to do when they come up against it both with bat and ball so
4: the fear was kind of visible wasn't it in India in that fourth innings that there is no way they would have been as cautious uh if England hadn't done what they'd done to New Zealand earlier they'd have I think they'd come at, at them in a completely different way
1: yeah but it, it, it's in the third innings as well so in in England's win at Trent Bridge in particular in the New Zealand series and, and here, I think in both cases, the opposition haven't really known what to do in terms of setting England a target. And one of the big reasons why England are in the game is because of these weird collapses where I think England bowled fine in the third innings, but I don't think they were brilliant. And then that's what kind of kept them in the game. If, if and Stokes India, if...
0: flaunted this, this thing in the interviews after, after the, the India game. He said this, that teams are not going to know how to approach that third innings. And the conventions have kind of gone out the window um just a word, a tiny word of caution. I, I, I don't want them to get too bolshy, right? You know, when Stokes is saying, well, a part of me wanted just to set in 450, see how, I know what he's saying, and it's great, but cricket does come back and bite you on the arse. Um The flip side of that point is that they kind of want to be bitten on the arse as well. It's just weird. You know, McCullum's saying, we want to we want to keep pushing it until we find where the line is and we want to go past that line and, and only then will we know where our limitations are so we almost want to to balls it up in order to know how far we can go um but yeah just 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 be a wee bit careful you know they're obviously riding this extraordinary wave at the moment but just be a tiny bit careful incidentally talking about players being absolutely banging in form playing and 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 getting it the one slight not question mark, because it's not that. But the one who hasn't got the balance right is the captain himself, who I think, incidentally, on the pitch has been marvellous, by the way. Uh, having having seen seen it live at Leeds in particular and watched it as closely as I could, I think he's an extraordinarily good on-field skipper. But with the bat, he's not got that balance right just yet. He got lucky at Lords against New Zealand when he splayed his stumps against De Grand
4: Homme and Obviously, he got caught mid-off a couple of times, um, this comes back to what I was saying about form though and like, I know he's played some brilliant knocks this summer that obviously he smashed Worcester around and he played the knock at Trent Bridge but is he actually in good enough form right. to get away with the way he wants to play at the moment and the impression is not really because even he, he Trent Bridge aside where he was actually quite controlled whilst also being aggressive he's been streaky in the, even in his mini knocks in his cameos mm. he's been quite streaky I mean, mm. obviously he got dropped the ball before he got caught by Boomer at Edgbaston. It it looks like he's forcing the issue in a way that Berstow and Root aren't quite striving for something that isn't quite there at the yeah, moment. Yeah, indeed,
0: indeed. Root obviously is separate to to all these conversations. Um Berstow is playing a kind of ultra Berstow role and he's doing it every week, but he's but he's always been a counterpuncher by nature. Stokes is a more complete player, technically at least than Berstow and temperamentally at least. And yet he's trying he's there is he's playing outside of himself a bit too much i think at the moment mm. uh, but then i had this conversation late on friday night on saturday night with some mates and and my instinct is well he'll find the line he'll find his own personal way of doing it and it's just a case of trialing this thing and and finding w- w- where the, where the point is i think his his approach when he was in best slipstream at trent bridge when he was 70 odd not out at run a ball having not really played a shot Seen, I would hope that that's a more accurate model going forward than the kind of skittish versions that we've seen elsewhere. But again, we, we'll have to wait and see. He's also got a lot on his plate as well. And he also took four for 30 to blow, blow that innings out of the water as well on, on day, day four.
1: On our daily video pods, Roy Dollard made the point after day three that you'd never have thought this when he got appointed. But Stokes is almost more important now as, as a captain than the player. Which is which is just which bizarre. Just going back to the third innings problem, I think teams have been muddled. But why is it why is it confusing? Surely you just should just bat normally and score as many runs as possible. <laughs> 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 oh, what, what 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 is there else to really think about? Like you, you know you You're know, right. no, you've you, know you know that England <laughs> you know that England are just going to have a go at whatever. So like. I, don't, I, I I actually think that's the thing that's most unsustainable about this England approach is that they have been, I think, quite fortunate with how much teams have let them get back in the game. And I don't think the way they've got back into the game with third innings it has got that much to do with how they bowled, I think. Joe Root was, during that really good interview, he talked about England bowling short the tail 'Cause because that's something they've done badly a lot over the last few years. Um, and he basically said bowling short to tail ends is like bowling the top of off stump to good players in that you can do that badly. And he basically said England did that well in the third innings, and that that is that is probably true. But I don't think that that is the reason why India completely collapsed.
4: No, I th- but I think in terms of that, what sides are doing in the third innings, I think you usually get to a point where India were where they had a substantial lead, and you just at that point you think we've probably got enough. We'll just hit out from here because everything else is sort of a bonus. And I think with this England team, you don't get to that point of feeling safe and then just being able to play freely. So actually, in that second innings, Jadeja played quite conservatively, given the way we know he can play. Um, The same with Thakur. So he, what, four off 26 balls? I mean, we saw what he did at the Oval last summer. At that point, they should have really been taking on the England attack. Instead, they went within themselves thinking, we actually need to get our head down and keep going for a bit longer here because... Who knows what's enough? And to be honest, that question, I was thinking yesterday, you know, there were three down for 378. How many could they have got? Yeah. 450? <laughs> 500? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, that, I think it's that kind of, I think I can see there is that impact on the way sides play. But soon enough, sides will shift as well. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll have to they'll start have to shift, playing the same. Yeah. And they'll have to shift their tactics
0: wholesale as well. I mean, if you're watching this in your Dean Elgar, for example, you're thinking, right, well, we, we, we don't want England chasing. But then that means what, you you win the toss at the oval and you say, mm, we'll have a bowl <laughs> when 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 the sun's beating down. So it's gonna spook them, just as it spooked the two the two big teams, the two very, very good big teams that they've already played this year. Uh, it's just upending the rules. I think Dean yeah. Elgar's
4: gonna race to a thirty ball fifty on the first, first morning of the <laughs> yeah. series. Gotta get ahead of the game. Yeah.
1: I think in in some ways people aren't giving enough credit to the thought that's going behind it so he's England are just playing attackingly but actually, I think that's very true but look with Alex Lees for example he gave an interview with Sky and he said his job was to uh, as as one of the left handers they were told to attack Jadeja in the way they were attacking the the seamers very very quickly India went from four slips to two slips and there were gaps in the field and England could actually score runs still fairly easily. So there, there, is, there is real logic behind England's attacking. It's not all out attack. It's, it's, they, to be honest, as you're right, with, with the exception of Stokes, probably, they are picking their moments when to go and, and Root and Besto did as well.
0: Yeah. It, and if they can develop an opening partnership with a bit of light and shade that, all right, it's never going to be Cook and Strauss, obviously, but that can do that kind of damage which was considered and rational and technically sound on both sides, then that is sort of the final piece of the jigsaw, really. Obviously, obviously there are, you know, players who are not world class in certain positions. Mm -hmm. There are players who are kind of water carriers in certain positions, sure. But if they can get an opening pair that can can do the job of what an opening pair is meant to do, then that becomes a formidable cricket team, a really, really formidable Mm -hmm. cricket team.
4: It's funny, isn't it? Lee's averaging 26 after seven tests. We'd usually be sitting around this table talking about, oh, maybe he's got a couple more tests left. Actually, I feel very positive about his yeah. England future. And that's as much because he's got out for a couple of 30s where he's looked really good, I think. And also that he's set up two magnificent wins. I think you can make an argument that if he hadn't played those knocks, then England probably wouldn't have won those games. And and that's certainly the point Root was making after the game yesterday.
0: Yeah, I think of all all of the developments in this the individual developments I think the emergence of pots is very significant and I think I think the 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 the, the, the kind of the, the about face change of of Alex Lee's is is potentially very significant for this mm. team which is uh, a sentence I never thought I'd be saying <laughs> a couple of months ago
1: um James Anderson's good isn't he 5 or 16 the first innings when had an India scored uh 415 he turns 40 this month Um, England were very good, Joe, but India didn't really help themselves, right? Not picking Ashwin. I know we spent most of last summer talking about that. Uh, The third innings performance. Then in the field, they were really sloppy, I thought. Pajara dropped catch with Bairstow. But also they had that, a couple of times, they did that really village thing where a player doesn't dive to cut the ball off. They just kind of follow it to the boundary. And Kohli getting very angry about that. And then Siraj and Thakur were way off it in the second innings. And now they've lost three away games in in a row all Uh, opposition chasing down a decent target with seven wickets left and scoring quite freely so for a team that looked like they could become one of the all-time great teams last summer potentially they've actually they've actually gone backwards a fair bit
4: yeah i mean we shouldn't forget uh rahul and rohit were the absolute bedrock of of what felt like a series win last summer i suppose in its in isolation it was a series win um, so th- those were huge losses. Um, Shubman Gill is, you know, fabulous to watch and is clearly going to be a very, very good Test cricketer. But in these conditions, he is away, way down from those two. Um, and again, Pujara, you know, I know he got a second innings half century, but he's not, he, he's not got the well the light and shade that Phil talks about. He's not going to hurt you. So even when he was in, he's a frustration. But he didn't feel like he was going to kind of turn the game. But I was expecting India to lose this Test because. Just, you know, that crap word, momentum. But it, it's so hard for sides, as England well know, turning up in a foreign country without much practice and, and just playing a test match. But and I think we saw that with Siraj and Thakur. I think that looked like kind of lack of match practice. But you're right, there were some oddly un-Indian things like the frailties and the fielding. Um, it seemed like they they lacked a little bit of that energy, that bite, obviously not in Kohli's case, he was snapping all over the place. But I don't know if that's the fact that he's not captain or whether that was maybe some intimidation on the part of England that suddenly that balance had been redressed slightly. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't really the India you would expect to see. But again, I, I think on balance that that should be more due to England's. We should give more credit to England for that then we should criticize india because overall it was a it was a brilliant test match
1: yeah i guess that one moment when you felt like this is this is the india of 2021 was when they took those three wickets for two runs in the fourth innings and kohli despite the fact he's not captain he wasn't bowling he didn't take a catch felt like he was central to it and it felt like Coley team of last year where as soon as they they sensed they could they could really seize a moment in the game they did and actually i think they lost the momentum bizarrely because of the the two botched reviews like, yeah. like it, was, yeah. it was it gave the cuz cuz the the crowd was basically 50-50 england supporters indian supporters and that was the moment where the England fans had something to seize upon themselves. And it kind of felt like India had lost a little bit of momentum in a weird way. Rishabh Pan is very good, Phil. Um, he's now up to number five in the bat- batty rankings of the world. He averages nearly 45 in test cricket, playing the way he does. Uh, he's on the losing side. But again, what a, what a phenomenal knock.
0: Yeah, almost no one does it like him. England have got one or two pretenders.
1: He could do well at sevens for England. He, he could, yeah,
0: <laughs> if, if he fancies it uh right R- Rishabh Pan, i'm i'm really really right, but I did say a couple of years ago that if he's if he wants to occupy legend status in the game, then he has to do it at a test match level because there are many minor geniuses in Indian white ball cricket uh and some of them don't even play for india uh The point of difference with him is what we're seeing now in 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 the five day stuff and uh, he, he has found that elixir, that perfect balance between wildness and responsibility. And although the, the odd occasion when it doesn't work, you feel like 1.3 billion people are coming down on his shoulders. It works so often now. It's worked in big moments in big games. And he got them out of a hole on day one because, you know,
4: England were all over them like a Some soup. of the shots on that day were just absolute... The one where he ended up kind of... He ended up on the floor like three different times, <laughs> didn't he?
0: Yeah, my mate said, who, who falls over more, Richard Pant or Bob Mortimer in, in, in Mortimer and Whitehouse gone fishing? But anyway, he... he um, my favourite shot that he plays is his own shot that no one's ever done before, although Butler does a version of it. It's when you don't move your feet at all. When you stand in your stance without a trigger, without and you literally do not move at all apart from your hands, and although it's ridiculous and it looks like a piss take, again there is logic behind it because you have that that base, that base that's already there, and then you can just work work these these marvelous hands around. Uh, he's he's a joy, and he's also something that the test game has to cherish. Again, you know, it, the, the rules might be being rewritten, but. He's still doing his best work. Od- actually, oddly, he's doing his best work in Test Yeah, well, this yeah, is why yeah, I was, his, say, his white ball really record is. is actually
4: for India not great. That's yeah. why I was going to. The Butler comparison is interesting because you know there are clearly similarities in in their sort of white ball dominance and aggression they play with. But unlike Butler, Pant seems to be more comfortable doing it in the longer format than the shorter format. Certainly at international level, I'm not. I, I don't. Can't really explain why that is. And I think. At the end of his career i think he will have a phenomenal white ball record maybe it's actually just having even though he doesn't necessarily rein himself in especially it's having that extra time in test cricket allows him to calm down a little bit whereas in one day cricket it is a little bit all hell for leather but yeah he's, he's clearly going to be a wonderful player across all the formats
1: um he writes in to say has this summer been the vindication that broad needed given the strength of his rhetoric on being dropped i guess it's all smiles and rainbows at the moment but he's averaging over thirty five this summer, going at more than three and over. He's had spells when he's been excellent and looked threatening, but more often than not, he's looked innocuous. How much would he be playing if Robinson Wood, Wokes, Bhamood, etc. were all fit? Has Potts now moved ahead of him in the pecking order too? Joe? Uh
4: I would say yes to that final question. I think Potts has been brilliant this summer. I think if you if you you know, if you had a World Test Championship final tomorrow and you had to pick your team, uh, based on who's available at the moment, I think Potts would be ahead of ahead of Broad uh, I think Broad's bowls from what I've seen I think Broad's bowled better than those stats I do agree that at times he's looked innocuous but I think he's also been a bit unlucky at times I can think of at least a couple of catches that have gone down off his bowling as well but it's no great surprise really I think he might not admit it but he he, he is a fading force it'd be bizarre freakish in the an Anderson way if he wasn't um And I think he should have a bit part role for England over the next maybe 12 months before he calls it a day. And I think he's still useful. I don't think it has to be this constant, is Broad finished? Is this the end for Broad? I think he should just be one of England's stock stock of seamers and they use him where appropriate. And I think hopefully this series, and I think this is kind of the point that email is getting at, maybe is based on what we've seen this summer, it's hard for him to come out so strongly in future and say, I have to be in this side. I'm one of the best teams in the country or in the best two teams in the country because he's not really, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a role to play. So hopefully he can be at peace with that as well and and, and not kind of slamming... Well, no one can slam England in the press at the moment. You can't slam them when they're winning, can you? That's, that's, That's another key difference.
1: England haven't had that many seam options. Everyone's been injured. It'd be quite interesting to see what happens when if and when some seamers are back for the South Africa series. I know there's not much Red Bull cricket for them to prove their fitness, but see how England go about that, because there are lots of very good players who haven't been playing much Red Bull cricket this summer.
4: Yeah, none of these seamers are are racing back to fitness, though, are they? Most of them are quite long-term problems. I, I don't see England's seam attack changing a huge amount for the rest of the summer, really.
0: I think Broad was excellent at Leeds in the first innings and visibly tired in the second uh, and his stats reflect that disparity um across across the last couple of years really you know his, his average since the start of last year i think is is you know into the early 30s and and yeah it, joe's right you know he's not the force he, he wants he once was but he is he is a number of things still to this setup he's he's his vibes he's there's there's a kind of Charisma there. There's a lot of hubris around Stuart Broad, of course.
4: Night Watchman in waiting. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> I mean, hasn't he
0: changed his his Instagram or whatever you call it profile to sort of Night Hawk for English cricket and England cricket and all that? And 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 somebody like him around around the traps is probably a good thing, probably a positive thing, the kind of thing that Stokes is going to want. Uh, basically, for the next, they've got three more Test matches this summer, and then they go to to Pakistan. I'm not sure if Broad will be required in Pakistan. Uh, and then, and then there's a then there's a pause for a bit. So, uh, whisper it. I could see that this could be his last full summer in an England kit. But if it is, and they win this, they win the series against South Africa. Then, then what a what a glorious way to to say thanks for thanks for the memories. Anyway, and look, you know, if he's fit and firing next year, then then fine, we roll on. But yeah, I think a, a slow a slow part in other ways is probably the way that it's going to play out with him. Um, but far better to do it positively than, than with that sort of sense of, you know, business unfulfilled as it was earlier in the year.
1: Mm. Um, moving on since we recorded the last podcast, we've had the women's test match at Taunton. I was there for all four days, It ended in a draw uh, there was brilliant cricket when they got on the park. There was a lot of rain and it was only a four day test match, so there wasn't that many. There weren't that many opportunities for them to to win back that time um Marzan Cap nat Siver, and Alice Davidson Richards all scored superb hundreds all from varying degrees of tricky positions um so were, England had four debutants and I thought the Davidson Richards hundred was really positive and kind of shows that even though there are some frustrating elements of how women's cricket is still being treated in there not being a fifth day for example that there are strides being made david richards actually wasn't centrally contracted she was on a rookie contract for a couple of years and she did a bit of work as a personal trainer so
4: we spoke to her for for a feature we've got in the upcoming magazine which was seven emerging women's cricketers about the journey they've had and, and kind of what comes next and she's obviously a bit older than the rest at 28 but i think that's even more interesting in some ways because she's straddled the two eras of non-professional and, and professional.
1: And she, so she's the oldest England uh, women's test debutant in 20 years. So so with, without the professional contracts that came in last year, you do wonder, would, would there have been a route for her to get back into the game to the level that she's now at? And also just like how at ease she was in that level, the, the, the setup beneath the test team and the just full England setup. Is producing players who are ready for international cricket straight away. And also, Izzy Wong, we talked about on the show quite a lot. I, I was so pleased to see her charging in under the lights. Um, so she, she, re- she really let it go, didn't she? It was second or third night, maybe? Thir- third, third evening. evening. So yeah. it felt a lot like the England Sri Lanka men's test at Cardiff uh, when Sri Lanka just completely collapsed um, in a game that was rain affected. It felt like England could have done that. And, and the game, it felt completely different when Wong was bowling. I think she is, she's definitely the quickest bowler England have, but not by loads, but she has the, the attitude of someone who's actually quicker than she is, if that yeah, makes sense. So she properly tries and to knock people over. That
4: comes across when you speak to her as well, like she's, she's super bright, really funny, interesting person to speak to. I interviewed her after her debut um, and she's she actually a really nice moment. So before she came back on for that late spell, her, her mum had been watching, I, th- I guess at home, and thought they weren't going to get back on the pitch. So they'd gone down to Izzy's local cricket club and just happened to be there as play resumed. And Izzy's on the TV, bowling that spell. And she's her, Izzy's mum's standing watching it with the coach who first taught Izzy cricket, age six. Uh, so they sat there and watched, watched this spell together, which is obviously a really, uh, really lovely moment. She's definitely going places. Um, and she's going to be, I think, a real figurehead for English women's cricket. Because... Not just because of how talented she is on the pitch, but she also speaks so well off it. Um, she was really engaging about women's sport in general and how much she's enjoying that, being part of it, but also watching it as a fan. She's looking forward to the, the Euros this summer. She told me that at the Commonwealth Games this summer, there's more medals available for women than men for the first time ever as well. So she's she's very clued up. She knows her stuff, and she's she's really something to be um, to che- to be cherished in women's cricket. And it'll be great if she can step up and and you know take over from brunt and shrubs as england need her to really
1: yeah absolutely i thought lauren bell was was really good as well that her, her spell on the on the first day was was really impressive um she obviously releases the ball from from eight feet high or whatever uh, And but she's another one who's really impressive off the field as well so she did her uh, i spoke to her like the day before the test match or two days before the test match and she did her dissertation while she was on tour with england over the winter and her dissertation was on the way in which women, uh, professional female athletes are treated differently on social media to, to to their male counterparts. So again, somebody else who's like hyper aware of kind of the context of women's sport and the and the progress it's making and, and and still the progress that needs to be done around it.
4: Whilst you were there, Yaz, the there were some great things in the match, but the overriding sense was another why oh, haven't we got a fifth day? Why is this why has this been stunted effectively? What what was the mood at the ground at the time, amongst the press and also the players.
1: Well, I, I felt really sorry for Heather Knight at the end of the game because every time she plays a test match, she has to answer the same questions, and she's on the record of you know voicing her frustration that there's not a fifth day. Um, and I get the sense that it's, it's frustrating for the players to every time they play test matches, they almost have to justify why they should be playing test matches. Um, and I think the, the, the four-day stuff, I think, is like a, is an ICC directive. But I think there are some things that the ECB should be doing more as well to um, give women's test cricket the best chance of succeeding. So, for example, uh, England haven't played a women's test match at a men's test ground for over 20 years now. Uh, the test was scheduled Monday to Thursday. How often... Well, I don't know the last time the men have done it, had a test match for that weekend I can't day. remember a Monday start ever. Exactly, exactly. Um, so to give it the best chance of succeed They didn't give it the best chance of succeeding at all. The The crowds on day three and four... I'm, yeah sure the rain played a part but they were they were awful and the location uh in this in a smallish town city uh in the middle of the week doesn't help it at all um so yeah I think I think a lot of frustration but I think also I think there are strides being made as well like I think the duke's ball made a quite a big difference the, the the cricket was 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 much better the bowlers were kind of always in it there weren't any periods where you felt the the, the cricket was a bit dead you've always felt it was a good Battle between bat and ball throughout. Um, Batters could score freely, but also the bowlers were always in it. So I think it was it was was good cricket when they got. Is it ninety overs a day? More than that.
0: It's more than that. So it should work out as a four and a half day cricket match.
1: Basically, yeah. But when as soon as you get rain, that's it. Sure. Yeah.
4: Sure. So, uh, Raf Nicholson's written a good column on on the match in general, but specifically the kind of uh, five day Test match issue. Uh, You might be aware of this already, but she said that the ICC allow you to schedule it over five days. But you can only have four days of cricket so you can only use that fifth day of one whole day is wiped out so in effect it's a reserve day so th- there is also there's little room in the scheduling already and the, I, I understand that they might the ICC might be wary of countries not wanting to lose money by hosting tests which 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 do lose money but surely there should be a, a kind of a clause or an amendment that allows boards to negotiate a fifth day if they so wish to do so. There's no World Test Championship in women's cricket, so it, you wouldn't say it's unequal to other test matches. It does, Just let the boards decide for themselves, surely. And, and you know, if the, if the boards then don't do it, then we can criticise them for it. But at the moment, it's, you, can't even, you can't even really criticise the people that you want to because we don't know where it exactly comes from. And...
1: No, 100%, 100%. And, and also, for women's test cricket... To improve in like a product, they need to just play more. South Africa—that was their first test match in eight years. Uh, I think, bar like maybe two, of their players—they were all debut, uh, making their debuts—and the captain Sune Lu said at the end of the test match that she, she thought she I think she did do a good job as captain but said it's a hard thing to do when you've literally not captained a side in that format before and you don't play much of it so I think they just need to do as much as possible to I mean I think the the big three seem to be playing slightly more test cricket than they y- used to um, but I think they need to do as much as possible I mean New Zealand haven't played a test match in nearly 20 years so I'm good team that haven't played test cricket for a while so
4: the, the so that news the, came through yesterday that new zealand's women are yeah. getting equal pay to, to the men same match fees for mm. domestic and international is games is that right yeah. yeah announced yesterday well listen in
0: then ncb <laughs> um just on the the four five day thing uh, and you know in in a sense of sense of equality and other reasons play five days especially in england where you get crowds and it's it's a money maker rather than a money loss, but from a strategic point of view, I'm just trying to figure it out in my head. And if there has been a kind of a sort of a fearfulness in women's test cricket before at, at certain moments in, in not too long ago either, if you think about the game at Canterbury, for example, when I think England played out something like 35 maidens in a day, and I was actually there at the time. Uh, there's. There's been an assumption that this is how you have to play test cricket and it's resulted in in a lot of tricky watches, historically. But the game has changed very quickly and in a very short space of time and it's changed quite dramatically. And now there is, as we saw in the Canberra test match, there is a there is a clear desire to A, produce a pitch where you can get a bit of life out of it and B, produce a show, produce a game, dangle the carrot, in the fourth innings and go for it and only shut up shot right at the death as England did. And I think while it's alarming to look at those numbers of the the preponderance of draws over the last 15, 20 years, I don't see that moving forward particularly because I just think it's just been a, such a dramatic change oh, in, in the approach. And so while five days safeguards that, it also possibly... Eliminate or weakens that sense of wanting to move the game along. It's the argument for four-day test matches, whether you're a man or a woman. It's the argument for it, but it's also obviously an argument against it, that if you do have a bit of rain, then, then, then you lose too much out of that game. But I can understand why, considering the financial constraints around the world as well, Four-day cricket is the way. Four-day cricket with 100, 100 overs per day is the way that they've they've positioned Test match cricket for for, yeah. for women so far. I can understand it in the same way that they've done that with with lower tier men's men's full member sides as well playing Test match cricket. I can understand the logic of it. I don't know if I agree with it, but I can understand the logic yeah. of it from like, a strategic perspective. Yeah, I
1: mean, what well, Joe said. They just should definitely have the option for a fifth day sure. when it rains. Sure, sure, sure. But what you said earlier, it, Heather Knight basically said exactly that. When you don't play that much test cricket, your their instinct was to play quite conservative cricket. But it's no longer the case. But now they've played more. They've realised that actually you can try things that are more positive, more attacking. And, you know, you actually can do that and, and, and it yeah. works. Yeah. And only now, with England having played slightly more test cricket in the last two years than they had done in the previous two or three years, they do have the confidence to do that. And Heather Knight now is captain of a few women's test matches as well. So Yeah,
0: and we saw it with India last year as well when the opener Verna came out to mm. bat and it was slapping it all over the place. And, and now that will be the model and we will see a lot more results whether it's played over four, four day, provided it doesn't rain too much, whether it's played over four days or four and a half or five, you'll see a lot more results oh, full stop. That,
1: that game would 100% have had a result if you yeah. had a full day yeah. of cricket left. And also, even though England were on top, the way Cap was go was going in the second innings, and the way she went in the first innings. What a knock! So, South Africa, innings. South Africa could easily have won that test yeah, match. It was nicely, it was nicely poised. Yeah. yeah, really was. Um, before we move on, let's hear what Gulliver Sports Travels have in store for cricket fans this winter. We are joined by. Henry from Gulliver Sports Travels. In a nutshell, Henry, what is Gulliver Sports Travel?
3: So Gulliver Sports Travel is a sort of leading, originally we we're leading uh, high street agencies. We started in 1972 um, and we specialize in taking people away uh, to watch sporting events all over the globe. So in particular, cricket, rugby and Formula One are our sort of three main key pillars of sports that we, that we follow globally.
1: But what's the history between Gulliver's and cricket? What events do you, do you generally go so to?
3: So, as I mentioned, we've been going for 50 years now, so we're very proud to that Gulliver's Sports Travel have hit their 50 year birthday. Um, but we've been following England all over the globe um, for, for almost since day dot. Um, we're providing high quality, unforgettable touring experiences to the likes of Australia, South Africa, New Zealand. West Indies, Sri Lanka, India. So if you name a, a test destination, we've been there. Um, currently, we've got groups in uh, Holland for the uh, ODI series out there, um, and and also looking forward to the T Twenty World Cup in Australia in a few
1: months' time. Mm, I'm, I'm jealous of anyone out on that Holland tour at the moment. Um, what makes you guys stand out from other tour operators?
3: Not only the uh, not only the relationships we have with our with our customers, um, you know we're we're very close. We like to we're very proud of the fact that we have a have a lot of people who who book with us for for every trip um, but also the partnerships we and the friendships we've made across the world so you know we 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 have a sort of family across the uh across the whole world with so for example we go to similar um cricket clubs in South Africa we try and set up games with other with other um in other countries with clubs as well so we try and visit different clubs um, with various suppliers and also various cricket boards as well, so you know we 've got such an established um, relationship across the gro- globe from everything from flight companies to transfer companies to the to i suppose to the um, the real core the individual the cricket clubs as well, which makes it really special. Um, we know the destination so well um, so whether it 's looking you 're looking for a sort of week away or whether it 's a month away. With all the bells and whistles and you and you want to do something a bit different and then something unique and special to you, you know, we've got unrivaled touring experience um across the, across the world.
1: Mm. I mean one of the biggest things of the cricketing calendar this year is the T twenty World Cup in Australia. It didn't go too well for the last time they were out in Australia, but hopefully they got better chances of seeding there in the T Twenty World Cup. What kind of fan expect when going on tour to Australia with Gulliver's?
3: So we've we've teamed up with a number of uh, parties in Australia, with various tourism boards to try and create the best package and, off- and, order and offer as much uh, added value as we can to the customers. So we're official ICC uh, Men's T20 World Cup uh, travel provider. Um, so all the tickets are 100% guaranteed and also what comes with that is the protection as well. Um, for when when people go, obviously there's still disruptions going on at the moment, and we don't really know, you know, uh, uh, what's look what uh, the world looks like in in sort of two to three months time uh, with with the whole COVID dare I mention it thing still going on. Yeah, so all packages include guaranteed match tickets, the hotel accommodation, uh, with the option to add internal flights and obviously the international flights plus much more. We also assign a, a tour manager to you, so we have someone on hand 24 hours a day. Who will be there to make sure that the accommodation and the, all the match transfers um, the transfers between you know depending if you what, what you're doing so if you're going to um, Melbourne or, or Perth you know the, the tour managers will be there on hand to assist you to make sure that everything runs as smoothly as possible um, we also put on things like welcome drinks so you get to know the group and, and mingle with like-minded fans um, quite often we'll bring in special guests and ex-players Uh, as well to meet the group as well as a a final tour dinner as well at the end at the end to uh, to really leave the tour with a bang and uh, have hopefully having had an unforgettable experience
1: Mm, nice and then if people listen to this and they they want to find out more they want to book what what should they do Um, and also is there an option as well to to pay in in installments I guess or not just pay yeah absolutely
3: so best thing to do is is probably head to our website which is www gulliverstravel.co.uk uh, and, and from there you can see all the packages and the inclusions and that will give you a real insight in terms of what the packages are. We've also got a sales team on hand um, so feel free to to give those guys a call and they're, they're all trained up and they know the, the ins and outs and have travelled to Australia many a time so they can give really good uh, examples and, and understand exactly what you're after and they'll be able to advise there. Um, and We've also got various social media handles as well uh, the likes of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then on your point about um, sort of payments, obviously, especially with Australia, it's fairly fairly expensive to fly over there. So we do offer um, various different payment schedules. So for example, you can pay 50% upfront, or you can, if you want to knock it off bit by bit, you have a full login, uh, an interactive account, where you can go and log on and you can pay bit by bit. Um, we have certain deadlines, but as long as the payments are hit by those deadlines, how you do it is completely up to you. Fantastic!
1: Thanks for a lot for your time, Henry. Um, listeners, if, if you like what you've heard, we'll slap the link to their website in our description. Joe, what's your moment of the week? Um, so my moment
4: of the week comes from the blast, which obviously we have got the quarterfinals this week. Um, there's been quite a lot written about the blast in the last few days, which we'll, which we'll come on to. But the, the specific thing that jumped out for me was was the what was meant to be a kind of do or die clash between Leicestershire and Yorkshire. At Grace Road, Um, I think all the other positions for the quarterfinals have been decided. So this was the last remaining one. Leicestershire needed to beat Yorkshire to get to the quarterfinals. All perfectly set. Um, I I think it might have been a sellout crowd or certainly they'd they'd got a big crowd ready to come in. And then that morning, an announcement came through that Leicestershire had been penalised for two um, indiscretions during their win against Northamptonshire. A one-run win to keep their tournament alive. Um, Which would mean... Effectively, that the Yorkshire game was pointless, uh, a dead rubber. Um, the two penalties were, in that Northampton game, were Aaron Lilly apparently kind of uh, having a go at Jimmy Nisham after it had been run out, which sounds entirely uh, avoidable. Uh, the other one was Naveenal Hat bowling two uh, full tosses over waist height and therefore be taken out of the attack. The context is that Leicestershire have had a lot of penalties over the last, or well, prior to this year, uh, and we're on a final warning. So in a sense, you know, it was all clear. They knew what would happen if they broke those rules again. The issue for me is really the the Naveen one, that I just don't think uh, full tosses over waist height should be in the same category as shouting at someone on the pitch or shouting at an umpire or swearing at an umpire. Especially in T20 when we know these bowlers are trying to bowl back of, hand, back of the hands, yeah. slower balls, often with a greasy, dewy ball I just I find that bonkers and and you know the panel perhaps just has to go by the lesser of the law maybe it's the law that leads looking at rather than the decision itself uh, I just feel really sorry for Leicestershire who they're bottom of division two haven't won a game all year they clearly put a lot of energy into T20 they spend what's probably quite a big portion of their budget getting some decent overseas players over like Naveen uh, and they've made a big effort to get More fans in for T20, they slashed their prices very early in the tournament, recognizing the environment that we're living in now and got good crowds as a result. And then they've been kind of punched in the mouth, really. Um, you know, rules are rules, I understand they have to be stuck to, but there is a bit of a sense here that at least wouldn't I happen have, to a bigger one. Well,
1: uh, it, I don't know, is that what like, you're going to say? Yeah,
4: it was basically. Yeah. It feels like, um it is very different in lots of ways, but the Durham situation a few years ago and the way they got the book thrown at them, um whereas, you know, the Yorkshire thing rumbles on, they still haven't actually received a kind of formal punishment as a team, uh, because the rules aren't so clearly in, in place for, for racism, but they are quite clearly in place for a couple, a couple of flat, flat ones. <laughs> yeah.
0: so you see
1: it you see it differently, yes, do you? Yeah, slightly. So I, I completely agree with the beamers. I don't understand why you get punished for that. But they would have been punished without the Naveen Beamers anyway, because they were one infringement away from the point seduction. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So there's right. only one away. And also, um they they were on that final warning because they had six on field infringements in the space of twelve months, which is a lot. And also part of the punishment the suspended p- penalty which was two points in the blast if it's in the blast was that they came very very close to getting these punishments in 2015 and 2017 so that was taken into account and it's not as if teams get punished for this that often they they their behavior has clearly just been worse than other teams but improved um, this year that that's what they yeah.
4: claimed in mitigation uh the other unless asked if their points deduction could be pushed back to or pushed forward sorry to next summer I I maybe there's not um maybe that's not what the rules suggest but that that would yeah. have seemed quite a reasonable way you still get you still lose the points eventually yeah. that would have seemed a fairer way of going about it for me yeah. I don't think Yorkshire could have had too many complaints if that had been the case and then obviously the, the final bit Leicestershire went and thumped and thumped <laughs> Yorkshire by 60 runs which I guess only added to that sense of what might have been really yeah. but you know I'm not slamming the ECB here there are rules in place but it did feel like a team that could do with a break, uh, ended up being given a kick in the teeth instead.
1: Um, and then just on the blast in general, you, you were going to talk about, and Andrew Miller's written a piece in the upcoming Wisden Cricket Monthly about this, about the the lack of love it's getting from the ECB, basically.
4: Yeah, and David Ops has written a really kind of impassioned piece on ESPN Cricket Info about this too. Yeah, it's just, so we've got to the quarterfinals and... If actually I remember when you asked us for our predictions at the start of the tournament you said having asked us it's basically pointless because we don't know what the sides will look like come the quarterfinals, and that's what's happened now that England have got white ball matches so the a lot of the counties that have got through have been massively depleted uh, Surrey here have, have lost Chris Jordan their captain and a handful of other players Yorkshire too um, and you know this should be building to a crescendo and actually it just ends with a kind of limp finish and there are ways around this. The ECB has a a very difficult job in setting up a schedule, largely because it's added a fourth competition to its own schedule. Um, And the result is that as County fans feared, the blast is very much the last thing to consider. And it is indicative of the way that things are going. And, you know, there there are those fears that the blast in time will just be ushered to one side. And it does feel step by step that we're, we're getting to that point, which a lot of the players... Um, would be very sad about a lot of fans will be furious about understandably especially when they were promised this wasn't what was going to happen and it, it does feel like we're edging closer to that sort of by the day really um, and that, that's a real shame because it's still a great tournament it has its problems 18 counties is a lot we know um, but if you're going to have it you've got to back it and it feels like there, it does feel a little bit like it's kind of been set up to fail at the moment
1: And also in terms of um, this is a tournament that means so much to the players, they take it extraordinarily seriously. It's it's for a lot of players the the pinnacle of their summers. It does lose its integrity a little bit if you you, you lose 10 players for a quarterfinal.
0: Immensely. And yeah, it it, it demeans the tournament through no fault of of the the teams that are involved. Mm. Uh, We're recording, obviously, at the Oval. Big game tonight, Surrey-Yorkshire, and it's a twos game. And there'll be a full house in. And they've never faced each other in the tournament ever. And it will be tinged by that fact. And just just personally, for me, a quarterfinal in the Blast is far bigger than a T20 game against India. Yeah. Not just from a, a punter's perspective, but from a player's perspective as well. It must be.
1: And TV yeah. spectacle, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, so it's, from yeah, a punter's yeah. perspective. There'll be more people tuning in to see to see a full... A team of superstars, Yorkshire Surrey, then there would another here today gone tomorrow who gives a toss T20 game, which is nothing more than a cash cow. Nothing more or less than that. Instantly forgettable. Ravi Shastri coached India and said this a few weeks ago. He said, I don't remember any T20 game apart from in a big tournament of which I was the steward for. He just doesn't remember. Nor do I, nor does anybody. It's purely an exhibition game. These are not exhibition games. These are crucial to the future of these individual counties and crucial to the to the membership and to the, the the fans who are investing so much time in into it. You play 14 games to get to this point, and then you get your team ripped apart because you need a rest day because you you got to play for England in a couple of days. It's a load of bollocks. It's
4: absolute bollocks. This is, and it's also clearly uh, representative of a wider issue with the domestic game getting squeezed and. As Andrew Miller points out in his column, he says there's a three way reduction of status of the only formats that matter at global level, and you know, and we know why this is. It's because the hundred takes centre stage, and there is they bet so much on it, it needs to come off. But I think if the ECB want want to be canny and, and keep the people on the side, or try and pull back some of the play, the, the fans that they've lost, then. It's not that difficult to make sure that the quarterfinals of the blast are played at a time when they're actually they can they can be fitting of the occasion they're meant to be but personally I don't mind so much that it's squeezed into this crazy week
0: where you literally finish a test match and then you've got four games with an, the odd England game sprinkled around that I don't mind that because it is so crazy at the moment but what does piss me off is that England will, will they'll they'll name a squad even though everybody's Constantly moving around in English cricket. They'll name a squad. That'll be your squad. That's stuck now. And even if your club gets through to a quarterfinal, and even if your quarterfinal is is two or three days before some T20 game that, that you haven't been playing for for, there's still no flexibility in there. Just make it a bit more flexible. Just just name a squad of 18 or name a squad of 14 with four reserves. And if your main squad needs a certain number of players to be taken out for one game, then you bring in your reserves. Just show a bit more flexibility, obviously, and then it will just raise the standard completely and make more people interested in the thing.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, now on onto those exhibition games, England have announced squads for the ODI series and T Twenty I series against India. Interesting names in there: Harry Brooks in both of them, Craig Overton's in the ODI squad, which I was slightly surprised by, and Matt Parkinson's in there as well. Uh, Brian Cast got a call up. In yeah, the ODIs. he's in there as well. Bowler. Um, and in the T20 I squad, uh, Richard Gleason, the 34-year-old Lancashire Quick, is in there for the first time, uh, rewarded for a fine season just, in the block. Just
0: on Gleason, and this is a nod to Matt Roller at ESPN Cricket, because I didn't really know this, but I was writing it up for the magazine yesterday. Amazing story, really, Gleason. He, he, all kinds of terrible injuries. He, he was he was playing club cricket until he was 27 for Blackpool. Um, just got a trial at North Ants a bit of minor counties for Cumberland as well. Got a trial at Northants. Managed to get into the setup. Got a big transfer, obviously to Lancashire. But he's had all kinds of injury problems. He's had metal metal pins put in his back, even as late as December last year. He wondered if he was ever going to play professional cricket again because his his body was being held together, you know, with with string and chewing gum. And he had this operation which was touch and go, and it and it and it's it's fused his back together again. And he's come out and he's taken 20-plus wickets in the Blast this year for Lancashire Bowling. Heavy-duty, muscular block-hole deliveries, a lot of clean bowls in that in that number. Uh, and so it's a really nice story and quite an unusual story, increasingly rare, almost vanishingly rare story that, you know, you you go round the backwaters and then you end up getting an, an England cap at some point in your 30s so it's a nice story that one
1: and fully deserved as well um england also announced a lions white ball squad for 250 over games against south africa um some very interesting names this one so it's going to be captain by tom abel you've got the 17 year old leggy from leicester rahan ahmed in there who's had a brilliant blast season tom banton sam cook ben duckett steve eskenazi sam hayne adam hose benny howell jake lintert david payne George Scrimshaw and Will Smead, who's still not played a 50 other game professionally. Um, so lots of exciting games there. The second game will have list day status. Um, to finish the show, Joe, there's a raffle for a very good cause that's close to us. Do you want to talk about that briefly?
4: Uh, yeah, so this is a raffle um, which has been set up by uh, a guy called Joel Lammy, who's actually uh, written some questions into the podcast previously, but we know him from doing work experience with uh, with Wisdom a while ago. Um He himself has suffered from a chronic pain condition, which has kind of restricted his life quite a bit. Um, But he's doing some really positive work to try and make life a bit easier for for disabled people. There's a charity called Changing Places, which is um, aiming to build toilets that go beyond ordinary disabled toilets. Um, They are bigger and include items such as hoist and changing bench. Without them, many disabled adults and families with a young person who has additional needs feel unable to visit uh, the city centre. This is specifically based in Peterborough, um, so uh, between us we've set up a raffle so it's just five pounds to enter the raffle and the winner will get two tickets to day three of the oval test between england and south africa uh, later this summer and the second prize is a bottle of the very delicious rye whiskey done by Wisden and a gift pack of the beer so that's only five pounds so the worst that can happen is you give five pounds to a very good cause the best that you could get end up getting test tickets worth I don't know upwards was a 200 quid and a little bit probably at the oval um, and all, awesome wisdom whiskey which uh, I should say thanks to Surrey and John Surtees in particular providing those those tickets for the test match and uh, and the wisdom.com team for the for the whiskey um, the best that we've got a long URL here I think the best way to find how to donate is probably a, a link w- with the podcast yes we'll sort that Uh, and also we've stuck it on Twitter as well so you can find the full details there but um, all donations uh, would be very welcome and we'll be announcing the winner of the raffle at the end of July
1: Awesome, sounds great and yeah, please do get involved That's all we have time for today Cheers Phil, cheers Joe This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast We'll be back next week
2: Podcast Network.